Well, good morning, Lakewood. I'm so glad you've joined us today, and happy Mother's Day. I trust that you moms uh, are thanking the Lord for the great strength God provides you to do all the things that are in a mom's job description. Yep, a mother's work is never done. But as we said last Sunday, leaning on God's strength is exactly what all of us need to make it through. Moms, certainly no less so. Isaiah 40, 29 says, God gives strength to the weary. Moms, I pray that for you today. And we are so grateful for your influence in our lives. I'm so grateful today that I had a godly mom. I also want to say this morning, just thanks, for, thanks to uh, Brian Swedberg for his service among us. Now, we knew that Brian was called to go plant a church, but in the little bit of time between uh, uh, when we called him and when he's planted a church, uh, we've gotten to benefit from his wonderful uh, gifts and talents and abilities. I have a little bit of sympathy for what it's like to come into an interim role. And I just want to say, Brian, thank you so much. Brian and Julie, we love you. It's probably a good time this morning also for just a quick update on our Healing the Heart of Your Church process. Dave Lambert and I recorded a quick message for the informational Zoom meeting, but we want you to understand that this process is ongoing. We've had this uh, delay of social distancing. We haven't been able to get together, but we've been using that time. It's allowed us to dive even deeper into Lakewood's history, to understand God's great blessings on Lakewood Church, and also to understand where there's congregational pain and even ministry dysfunction. We also believe that God has delayed our process to give each of us at Lakewood time to honestly and humbly ask the Lord where we might have contributed to Lakewood's struggles. You'll recall how I've regularly said it's all too easy for us to blame someone else. It's not them. Lakewood is us. And it requires great humility to openly say, God, have I in any way committed to our struggles? Have I done things or said things that have displeased you and harmed our body? We need an authentic move of the Holy Spirit to bring spiritual revival. And let me remind you that the first stage of revival is broken repentance. Oh God, bring that to my heart and to the hearts of those around me. Now will you take your Bibles and turn to Psalm 34 and uh, pray with me as we open our hearts to God's Word. Lord, we bless you and praise you for communicating with us the idea that the creator of all of the universes has decided to have something to say to us and then to rescue our lives and bring us into relationship with you. That is beyond our comprehension. You are a great, great God. Thank you for your word, for this love letter that you've written to us. And I pray that we would not only understand it today, but that we would let it take root in our own hearts 
and to change our lives. In Jesus' name, amen. Troubles. Troubles, we've all got them. Some would suggest that if you're walking with God, miraculously your troubles go away. Nope. I watched the ministry of my pastor dad and that mistaken assumption was one thing that caused extra struggle in my dad's life and ministry. He believed that if he was truly the pastor, he ought to be. Troubles would disappear. That's not true, as I'll show you today. And believing that hindered my dad's ministry. And at times, he was hesitant and insecure when he needed to be bold but he didn't understand how God uses trouble. Now, it is true that if you're walking with God, you'll avoid the consequences of sinful choices. And it is true that there is a special protection for those who walk with God. But even sweeter still is the reality that God is with you, close at hand, comforting and sustaining when life gets hard. Life is harder for those who ignore God, lots harder, but troubles, struggles, we've all got them. That's one of the reasons I've come to love Psalm 34 and make it my favorite. I want to know how to cooperate with God in my struggles and troubles. This psalm is one of the most amazing texts to show us that God is always good, even when life is hard. No, especially when life gets hard. But here's the other truth of Psalm 34. Cooperate with God and blessings flow. Resist him and life will get hard. You can make life even harder than it is by resisting the Lord. So last Sunday, we were digging into the first 10 verses of Psalm 34. You remember that David wrote this. He was... Uh, running away from King Saul, who was trying to kill him, escaping Saul, uh, 1 Samuel 21, and David found himself in the hometown of Goliath the giant. And in order not to be killed by Goliath's fans, because he'd killed Goliath, he pretended to be insane and crazy, likely because the Philistines were superstitious about crazy people, thought that their gods might speak through the craziness. And King Achish Abimelech, his decision was, I've got enough crazy people in my kingdom, but don't kill him, just drive him away, get him out of here. And out of this experience of trauma and drama in David's life, David is rescued and saved, and in thanks, he writes this gorgeous psalm. Last week, we saw David giving joy to God, getting through troubles, and declaring God's great goodness. And before we dig into the rest of this psalm, let me just say this. Because you and I are sinners, what we deserve from the hand of God is not his goodness. God constantly gives us good, but not because we deserve it, not because we earn it. It's simply because God is good. That's called grace. God is always good, even when we are not. Every time God takes 
action, it's good. Even when it's not comfortable for us, it's good. So let's move on into the psalm and um, out, the outline of the second half of the psalm settles out like this. Verses 1 through 11 through 14 talk about the fear of the Lord. Verses 15 and 16, the eyes of the Lord. Verses 17 through 22, the concern of the Lord. And remember now, this is Hebrew poetry, and it was written to be memorized. It doesn't quite come through in the English, but it was designed to be memorized because each verse starts with the next letter of the Hebrew alphabet. 22 letters in the Hebrew alphabet, 22 verses. So let's dig into the text and let the Holy Spirit apply to how we think and live. Come, my children, listen to me. I will teach you the fear of the Lord. Whoever of you loves life and desires to see many good days, keep your tongue from evil and your lips from telling lies. Turn from evil and do good. Seek peace and pursue it. So here David is concerned for the kids, for the children. Here's some more evidence that this psalm was used in ed education. The educational device to help you remember it is that it's an alphabetical psalm. This is how you teach children, isn't it? But right here, David says specifically, kids, I want to teach you to fear the Lord. What's that about? The fear of the Lord. This word fear comes down to us from Old English, and it's not the Hebrew word for being in terror or in dread. It's not the Hebrew word for concern or anxiety, being afraid. This is the word yirah, for respect and honor and reverence. Afraid of God? Not if you're living in a way that honors Him. Not if you're living in a way that respects and reverences His gracious creation of your life. We, we live constantly under His gaze. And this psalm is going to help us understand when people, when evil people, have good reason to be afraid of God, but not those who live their lives in a way that shows respect for the God who gave them life. Children, I'm going to teach you how to live with proper respect for the one who gave you life, the one who put you on planet Earth. How do you live to honor him? to look to Him, to trust Him, to worship Him. I want you to live in a way to avoid grieving this wonderful Father who is overall and who has given you life. Verse 12, do you want a long life? Do you want a good life? A rich life that God will bless? Here's some key things that will help you live a life that God can bless. Verse 13, Keep your tongue from evil and your lips from telling lies. Turn from evil and do good. Seek peace and pursue it. The use of your mouth, the way you speak, the things you say are important to God. 
They're important to live a life of reverence in the fear of the Lord. The Bible has a lot to say about the danger of the tongue and the power of the tongue. Proverbs 18 says, life and death are in the power of the tongue. James says the tongue is such a small part of our bodies, but it can create horrible damage like a tiny spark that sets a forest on fire. You know, Christians today are so often careless about their tongue, their language, the things they say. Especially in today's world when our society abounds with hateful, accusatory, damaging, uh, bipolar speech. We think we can say whatever we want and, and no one should be concerned or shocked. And, and we attack people, especially if they disagree with us politically or doctrinally. It's all right. Wow. One of my friends like to call this one of our acceptable sins, but it's not acceptable. To God, it's not acceptable at all. Notice that lying is out, okay? Got that. We know that. But it's not just lying, speaking evil, accusing, putting people down, talking about them in ways that tear down respect that others might have for them, trying to climb higher by tearing someone else's reputation down. God tells us again and again that he can't stand that, that he won't bless those who do that. In fact, the scripture says he'll oppose them. Turn from evil, the psalm says. Turn from evil and instead do good. Seek peace and pursue it. Seek peace. I don't know if you've noticed it, but it seems like uh, today the more angry and opinionated Christians are, the more spiritual they think they are. We're living in this era where Christians assume that they're more godly if they have stronger opinions. They're more godly if they're more judgmental and angry and bigoted. I've heard it said in an angry, out-of-control conversation. I feel so strongly about this. God must feel this way too. Actually, the angrier you are, the more likely you've missed how God thinks. Because James 1.20 says, the anger of men never brings about the righteousness that God desires. Listen to the word, my friends. Is there a better, more godly way? Seek peace and pursue it. That's how folks live who honor and respect and fear the Lord. How folks speak to reverence God. Did you notice that God loves peace? And didn't Jesus show us how much that's true? So secondly, we want to notice the eyes of the Lord. For the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous. His ears are attentive to their cries. The Good News translation is so sweet here. The Lord watches over the righteous and listens to their cries. And you might be a little insecure about that. The eyes of the Lord are on the righteous. Well, that kind of disqualifies me, doesn't it? Not if you're a believer. 2 Corinthians 5.21, God made him who had no sin, Jesus, to be sin for us 
so that in Him we might become the what? The righteousness of God. Understand this. We read the Old Testament through the lens of the gospel. And on the cross was the great exchange. Jesus took on himself my sin in order to give me his perfect holiness. The great exchange. And so because I have trusted Christ and I am in Christ, the Bible says, Colossians 3.3, the old you has died and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. We're righteous. That's how God sees us. We're cleansed and made holy because of the cross of Calvary, even though there's still more transformation to happen within me. Verse 17 now goes to the concern of God. He's concerned about you. He's concerned about you, especially when life gets hard and struggling and difficult, especially when your life, like David's, is filled with trauma and drama. The righteous cry out, and the Lord hears them. He delivers them from all their trouble. He's concerned about you. And again, remember last week, life is hard in great measure to prove to us just how much we need the Lord. Don't be ashamed about that. You were never created to do life detached from God. Life is about learning to trust Him and learning to lean on Him and learning to rely on Him. Verse 18, the Lord is close to the brokenhearted and saves those who are crushed in spirit. That is such an encouragement to me. I'd expect the Bible to say God is close to those with a brave heart. I'd expect to say that God is close to those with a burning heart, those with a passionate heart. My heart isn't always brave. My heart isn't always fervent and enthusiastic. But no, God draws close to those with a broken heart. You ever been brokenhearted? I have. Has your spirit ever been crushed? Mine has. You know, we believe theologically that God is everywhere present. That's good doctrine. There is no place on earth where God is absent. But listen to this. When you are brokenhearted, when Life has gotten so hard that it crushes your spirit. He especially draws near and close and rescues you. Remember how Jesus said his first sermon in Nazareth? He quoted Isaiah 61. The spirit of the sovereign Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim freedom to the captives, the addicted, the enslaved, to release from darkness those who are prisoners. Like every rabbi who was going to preach in the synagogue, he, Jesus read an Old Testament text and he was supposed to expound on it. This was a messianic text. They expected this of the Messiah. 
This is what they expected him to accomplish. Jesus read that text and he said, today the scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. That's what I came to do. End of sermon. I came, Jesus said, to bind up broken hearts. And when your life is broken and when your heart is broken, God wants to draw up close to you and let you feel his sweet healing nearness. God draws up close to those who know they need him. The righteous person may have many troubles, but the Lord delivers him from them all. Oh, I love that verse that David wrote. He's speaking out of his own testimony of trauma and drama of escaping from Gath. The righteous person may have many troubles. Many are the afflictions of the righteous. That's how my friend Leo used to quote it to me. But the Lord delivers him from them all. Scott Peck, The Road Less Traveled, said, once we truly know that life is difficult, once we truly understand and accept it, then life is no longer difficult because once it is accepted, the fact that life is difficult no longer matters. That's true. If you expect life to be hard, when it is hard, you won't be shocked. That's good human psychology. But there's more to that for the believer. The righteous person may have many tribal troubles, but the Lord delivers him from them all. He draws up close to the brokenhearted. He protects all of his bones. Not one of them will be broken. Evil will slay the wicked. Did you get that? Evil will slay the wicked. For those who insist on doing evil, it's going to turn around on them and come back at them with a vengeance. The foes of the righteous will be condemned. But the Lord will rescue his servants. No one who takes refuge in him will be condemned. Listen to me. God has promised us a better, fuller kingdom. We are not there yet. There won't be troubles in that day when the kingdom comes. This is not heaven on earth. It's not supposed to be in God's great plan without trouble. Down here, we've got stuff like trauma and drama. In this life, we've got problems and struggles. We've got frustrations and inconveniences and heartaches and miseries, COVIDs and epidemics and economic downturns and uncertainties and, and scary stuff. But we've got a God who is far bigger than all of that. We've got a God who draws close when life is hard. And he can deliver us from the struggles that this life adds to the mix and the mess. Many are the troubles of the righteous, but the Lord delivers him from them all. If not in this life, then assuredly in the life to come in when we're home in the full presence of Jesus. 
I've told uh, several of you Lakewooders, Lakewooders uh, this story. In my first interim pastorate, we were in North Isanti Church at Cambridge, Minnesota, and it was such a blessing to be there because my aunt and my mom were in the closing years of they, their life, and we were just down the road, five miles from where they lived at Grandview Home. I think some of you know Grandview Christian Homes. Well, it was hard to watch them in their declining months. Hard. But it was such a blessing for us to be nearby. So I ended up uh, serving this church in the middle of February. Came down with a nasty cold at right about the same time that a woman named Joyce Duck, yes, that was her name, she grew up the daughter of a great professor at Bethel College named Henry Wingblade. And I was encouraging Joyce. My cold was getting a bit better. Hers was getting a big bit worse. And I said, and Joyce's response just made me laugh with joy. I said, well, Joyce, hang in there. If your cold's like mine, you'll be getting better soon. And Joyce said, well, if not, heaven's not so bad. A classic Minnesota Swede understatement. I love it. Not so bad. Hey, heaven's going to be glorious. Do you get this? God is going to take care of you, not just now, but forever. As good as it is to know the Lord and walk with God through life, it's going to get better from here. The eyes of the Lord both now and for all eternity are on you, believer, to care for you, in concern for you. Just imagine what it would have been like to get sick before the age of antibiotics when pandemics were not rare, but regular, came along about every 20 years before the turn of the century to 1900. Dr. Stillman Martin was a college professor and evangelist. His wife, named Sevilla, was his musician for their meetings all over Canada and the United States. One night in 1904, as Dr. Martin prepared for an evening crusade, Sevilla suddenly became quite ill, and Dr. Martin concerned about her was ready to cancel the meeting and stay home for her sake. As they were discussing it together, their young son stood in the doorway listening, and he piped up saying, Father, don't you think that if God wants you to preach tonight, he will take care of mother while you're away? And that challenge sent Dr. Martin on his way to the meeting that that night where Many gave their hearts to Jesus. And as he excitedly returned home to share the story with his wife, he found her surprisingly much better. And with pen and paper in hand, she had written the words to a song so many of you know so well. Be not dismayed what e'er betide. God will take care of you. Beneath his wings of love abide. God will take care of you. God will take care of you. 
through every day or all the way. He will take care of you. God will take care of you. Let's pray. We thank you, Lord, that we are never out from under your gaze. Little kids sing, Oh, be careful, little hands, what you do, for the Father up above is looking down in love. <laughs> but we see from this psalm that your gaze is one of favor and help and concern to bless us and encourage us and to help us, especially when life gets hard. Lord, we trust you today. and We want to draw up close to you. I pray for anyone who's listening to my voice today who still has not given their life to Jesus. Life doesn't have to be as hard as it is. And Lord, I pray that today by your Holy Spirit, you would show them their need for Christ to help them to turn from their own personal way of doing life and let you be their Lord and Savior and Master. Bring them home to your kingdom. And for all of us today, we want to learn how to deal with our fears so that we can live in faith. We bless you, Lord Jesus. In your sweet holy name, Jesus Christ, amen.